0: Hey teachers, happy summer. Have you heard? We're switching things up here on the Classroom Commute podcast and we're trading in our daily drive to school with a summer teacher road trip. What's that mean? Well, each week this summer, we are visiting some of the most popular tourist destinations, a.k.a. the most popular podcast episodes of this past school year. So listen in, get re-inspired, and best of all, make sure you have joined our email family so that you can snag some exclusive freebies that only they will get and get access to Hot Summer Deals at the Classroom Nook Teacher Shop. We'll link up all the details in the show notes so you don't miss out. All right, grab your favorite road trip snack and let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Classroom Commute Podcast. I'm Rachel, your host, and I hope that wherever you're joining me today, you are ready to get a little bit nerdy with me. (laughs) For the past few weeks or so, I've been exploring what it means to be a modern day 21st century classroom. And sometimes that means challenging some of the old practices and ways of thinking about how students learn and how we support our students with that new knowledge. And I've done exactly that. In fact, last week we talked all about the elements and the components that make up a 21st century classroom. And a lot of it centers around creating spaces of collaboration and creativity. It's all about helping students to develop real-world skills and learning to be great thinkers and reflect upon what they're learning. And all in all, just to be more active participants of their learning experiences which is quite different to the experience that I had and many of us had when we were in school. And so that's why I've kind of taken the time here in the last few episodes on the podcast to really explore what a 21st century classroom is. And, you know, one of the main strands that is woven into a lot of what makes a 21st century classroom is the use of technology and multimedia. I said last week, and it's nothing that you haven't heard before, but we live in a digital world, so we need to prepare our students to be able to function in a digital world. And one of the ways that we do this is through the use of meaningful technology. So that doesn't mean that we replace tried and true methods that don't require technology. It just means that we weave it in naturally into our everyday teaching as a way to engage and encourage interaction and discovery. I came across the term in some of my research about 21st century classroom, and that term was digital natives. And it refers to those students, the ones that you're teaching right now, who have grown up with technology and have adopted to it versus people like you and me who have not. We use technology now, but it wasn't native to us. Technology was not our native language like it has become for our students. And our students are digital natives. Technology is their native learning language. And since this is the world we live in, there's been a lot of study and research around how learning through technology is processed by the brain and how it impacts our students. So this is where we're going to get kind of nerdy. We're going to dive a little deeper into how the brain works and how it processes information. So stay with me here. I promise it's good information and it's important for teachers to know because when we know something, we can base our teaching off of it and we can make sure that we are truly doing what's best for our students we have learned that the brain processes information using two channels, the visual channel and the auditory channel. And what we've come to discover is that when the brain is offered both channels, the brain is able to take in and process even more information. So that leads me to my whole idea and thinking and conversation here about multimedia learning. And it's through technology that makes multimedia learning possible. By taking advantage of multiple mediums, and by that I mean images, graphics, videos, audio, and others, these are what we consider learning mediums, we can dramatically enhance student learning. And that's what 21st century instruction is all about. All right. I just want to give you a tiny science lesson here about the brain. I will try to make it as painless as possible because if you're not a data and research type person like me, I don't want to bore you. But I do think it's important that we all have a little background so we can really truly understand why multimedia learning works. But before we dive into the brain, let's first define multimedia. Multimedia is a form of communication that combines different content forms such as text, audio, images, animations, videos into a single interactive presentation in contrast to traditional media, which has little to no interaction like printed materials. So there are a lot of definitions out there with multimedia in them, and we'll just kind of use this one as our working definition just so we're all on the same page. Okay, now for the brain. So we have two types of memory. We have long-term memory and we have working memory. Our long-term memory is where we store what we already know. This is often referred to as schema, which is probably a term that you likely know and have heard, and maybe you even use it with your students when you refer to their background information, because that's what it is. Or your long-term memory is your background information. And schema helps us to chunk and organize that information in our brains so that we can draw upon it later and integrate it with new information that we're learning. And if new information that we are learning for the first time doesn't find its way into your long-term memory, it's lost. It's gone. Now, before information can be integrated into long-term memory, it first must be processed by our working memory. That's the second type of memory. Our working memory is limited. It can only handle small amounts of information at a time. If you were with me a few episodes ago, I did a a podcast episode all about ways to increase student success. And I mentioned that one of those ways was to chunk information into small bite-sized pieces as you're teaching it and only have students focus on one new piece of information at a time. And this is why. It's because our working memory can only take in so much new information. It can't be overloaded or that information, that new information will be lost. In fact, one study shows that working memory can only keep information for about 20 seconds. Isn't that crazy? Anyways, in this working memory, that's where we have these two channels that I mentioned earlier. The channels that we use to take in new information. The audio, the auditory channel, and the visual channel. And the auditory channel, obviously it's the channel that handles information that's heard while the visual channel processes information that is seen. But here's the exciting part. Here's the important part. When information is presented in both the visual and auditory channels at the same time, working memory can actually handle more information overall. So that's why the use of multimedia, which presents information in both visual and audio forms, can have a greater impact on student learning. Now, before I go on, we do need to be careful that we do Don't just overload our students' brains with too much audio and visual stimulation at the same time, because that's not effective either. But the use of effective media where the audio and visual complements each other, that's what we're aiming for. So what does effective multimedia look like then? Well, here are a few guidelines that I found in my own research. And by the way, I'll link to an article in the show notes that shares a lot of this information. I promise I'm not just making it up. It is backed by several studies of the brain over the course of several decades. So if you do love to dig into the research, I'll share an article that I think brings it all together really nicely. All right, what we do know about effective multimedia is that one... Words and pictures are better than just words alone. And words could mean written words or spoken words or both. And when you combine those written or spoken words with pictures, it helps the brain process more information. We also know that multimedia is more effective when it's interactive and under the control of the learner. I spoke about this last week when we talked about the components of a 21st century classroom. And it includes activities that are self-paced and student-controlled. And this helps increase the success of students. When students can control the pace at which they're learning new information, they're going to learn it better. They're going to learn more. And even more than that, when students can interact with their learning and they can manipulate stuff and they can start and stop and begin again on their own time, even better. Here's another element of effective multimedia. Animation. Multimedia instruction that includes animation can improve learning. This is especially helpful for trickier concepts that are hard to understand because animation can breathe new life into it and present it in a new way that helps break the concept down or makes it more applicable for the student. An animation that includes both the visuals of the animation accompanied by narration helps our brain to process new information even better. And again, this is making use of both the auditory and visual channels, allowing them to work together because we have the animation on the screen. That's our visual and we have the narration that goes with the animation behind it. So we got them both working together and our brain can process it. We also know that multimedia is most effective when the content and format actively engages the learner. So a perfect example of this is if there's a character on the screen, on a computer screen that students are watching, and it's talking directly to the student. If the character appears to interact with the learner and uses words like you and I, it's more conversational and they're going to be more engaged. Multimedia learning is also most effective when learners can apply their newly acquired knowledge and receive feedback. So we not only want to provide our students with multimedia instruction to take in new information, but we also want to allow them to apply that new information immediately so that they can transfer that knowledge from their working memory into their long-term memory. So providing a way for them to then apply their new knowledge is key. And feedback is equally as important. And we did talk a lot about this last week when we talked about the use of rubrics and how using rubrics written in kid-friendly language can help give our students some feedback so that they can take action on it. And it gives them some guidance as well and sets the expectation for learning. And finally, multimedia is most effective when the same information is presented in a variety of ways. So whether that's print or audio or video or other visuals, when we present new information using more than one of those ways, we are giving our students the opportunity to see and understand that new information from several different angles. More and new exposure to the same information helps the brain to process and commit that new learning into long-term memory. Okay, I know I just threw a lot of new information out at you, a lot of information about the brain. And if you take away nothing else from this episode, here's the bottom line. Our students... what we consider digital natives. Technology has become one of their native learning languages and including effective multimedia as part of your everyday instruction can significantly enhance student learning because multimedia instruction supports the way our brain processes new information. So the question is this, how can we incorporate multimedia learning in our classroom so that all students can connect to what they're learning? In what ways are we already supporting our students with multimedia experiences and have already seen students succeed? We need to do more of that. Where can we add multimedia learning into your instruction so that you can elevate the students' learning experience? We are going to dive into ways that we can take action on what the research says. What we've learned today, we're going to learn how we can now apply it to the classroom. So what I'd like to do is take what we know about effective multimedia instruction and apply it to the classroom because that's what really we want to do here. We don't want to just have this knowledge floating around in our head. We want to know what can we do with this information and how can we use it to benefit our students. So when I think about my own experience in the classroom as a teacher and now as a curriculum writer of resources for other teachers, I have to be honest, I really wasn't thinking about if what I was teaching or what I was creating for other teachers was brain-based research. I know I should have been, but I wasn't. And I wasn't thinking about words like multimedia or working memory versus short term memory or multiple intelligence and all of these things. I wasn't thinking about it. Instead, I had thoughts like, oh, my gosh, how cool is this science video or this clip art and this photograph? It's perfect for this topic. The students are going to love it. Or, yes, I finally figured out how to provide audio support or, whoa, I can create a drag and drop activity inside of a linktivity. All of those things were the things that really got me excited when I was originally creating resources for both my own students and for other teachers and their students but When I started to see how successful some resources were with students over other resources or how some activities really sparked real learning while others fell flat, this is when I became obsessed with learning about what exactly it was about certain resources that had such a huge impact on students. So that's when I dug into the research and the more I became involved in creating resources like Linktivities, the more I wanted to know why they were so effective with students. So like I said, that's when I really dug into the research. And much of that research I've already shared with you in some of the past few episodes. But in hindsight, I realized I kind of went about this whole creating resources and putting things out there into the world for teachers to use. I kind of went about it backwards. I created first and then I researched. And what I've learned, I guess, through trial and error, which is a lot of what a lot of us teachers do, we find what works and we find what doesn't. But what I've learned through this trial and error is that it was the multimedia and it was the interactive style activities that really had the biggest impact on student learning. It was not the textbook reading or the worksheet style activities or the more traditional methods of teaching that got students really excited about learning. And I know that not everything can have all the bells and whistles, but What it does mean is that when we really want to make an impact, when we really want to reach that struggling learner, we've got to kind of go the extra mile. We've got to create those engaging experiences and multimedia interactive style activities allow us to do that easier. I can remember actually feeling bad when I would ask my students to open up their textbook and read page A through page C and then answer the questions at the end of the chapter. But unfortunately, those are the only resources I had and that was all that was available to me. So over time, I would try out different ways to make learning more fun. I kind of used what I had and created what I thought would work and I would try it out with my students. I would start by having them read with a partner. That would usually get a few more smiles from my students rather than just reading the textbook by themselves or even as a whole class. And, you know, then I would start assigning students different sections of the textbook and they would become quote unquote experts and maybe they would create a poster about their section from the textbook to present to the group. Okay, I would get a few more smiles, a little more interaction, a little more creativity. And sometimes I would take the textbook myself and create what I called discovery learning folders. And I'll link to a collection of discovery learning folders that I've created so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. But it basically took the same information that was in the textbook. So I wasn't reinventing the wheel, but it would break the topic down. So a larger chapter, for example, it would break it down into smaller chunks. And I would add a whole lot more visuals, a whole lot more graphics and charts and things that would make the information from the textbook more interesting to look at. And then students would rotate through these folders and they would just take in a little information at a time. Remember, a few episodes ago, we talked about how breaking information up into chunks really helps students succeed. And also remember how pictures and words together, they make for better learning. So that's kind of my whole thinking behind the discovery learning folders. It broke the information up, it gave them a whole lot more visuals to kind of match what they were reading and they were working together in groups so that it was more interactive. And then I started adding things like speech bubbles where there were characters on the page talking to the students who are reading off the folder. So there's that whole engaging the reader into the process, making it more conversational. Anything I could do to take what they needed to learn and make it so that it wasn't just written out in a textbook type style paragraph, breaking it up, putting it in speech bubbles, adding a character to be telling them the information, it all led to more engagement. And then after a few more years of teaching under my belt, I got a little bit more brave and I would sometimes have students take what they were learning from a textbook and create PowerPoint presentations. When I first started teaching, PowerPoint was like the thing and so I tried to use it in my classroom. So you can kind of see how the multimedia aspect of learning was starting to creep in a little bit more. So we started with a textbook and now we're working our way out of the textbook and into PowerPoint, digital resources. And what I would do is I would create a template in PowerPoint so that they would then use that template to create their slideshow on whatever topic it was. Then fast forward a few more years and I was out of the classroom for the first time, but I was still working with teachers. I was still creating resources. And one teacher asked me, hey, we're, you know, we're teaching the U.S. regions next month and the textbook is super dry. We would love to have an interactive way for students to learn about each region of the United States. Do you think you could create a PowerPoint presentation about it? And lo and behold, the Linktivity was born. Now, it wasn't called Linktivity back then. It wasn't really even called anything other than here's a PowerPoint presentation on the U.S. regions. But it was really the very beginnings of what a Linktivity is today. And at first, they were very basic. It was just text and images. And essentially, it was advancing from one slide to the next. And that's how I created them for a while. And then people started asking me to put them in Google Slides. So I did. And then Google Slides gave us the option to add audio. So I started adding audio so that the text could be read to students. Then I started adding kid-friendly YouTube videos. And when I couldn't find a video that would really match exactly what I wanted, I started creating my own. Then I found a software program, the program that I'm currently using right now to create Linktivities that not only allowed me to add a video, but also to now include things like drag and drop, digital activities so that students can manipulate the screen and move things around and have that immediate practice of whatever skill they were working on. What I'm saying is with each step of the way, everything that I've just described to you, the resources evolved and as they evolved, they included more interaction, more engagement, more 21st century best practices. And I know for myself, I'm just getting started. I am nowhere near where I want to be. I can't even imagine what linktivities will look like in say 10 more years. It's so funny when we take the time to look at the evolution of our own teaching. And I know some of you have been in the classroom for 15, 20, 25 years or more. How has your teaching practices and resources changed? Do you ever come across a resource that you started using, you know, your early years of teaching and it just makes you cringe that you actually use that resource? Yeah, I come across those resources all the time. And that's okay. We're always evolving. We're learning new things. And as we learn new things, we can change the way that we present information to students. Now, this brings our conversation full circle because I started by saying that when I began creating resources, either for my own students or for other teachers and their students, it didn't necessarily stem from wanting to create this multimedia learning experience. But as I tried new things and tested out new types of activities, it just kind of was an organic, natural process that I learned that those activities that had the multimedia interactions were the activities that my students loved and it made them love learning more and more so i guess we could just say it was a happy coincidence that what i simply saw as cool and fun was actually supported by research i just didn't know it at the time but now looking back it all makes sense and as i sit here today talking to you about what i've learned from my research and my experiences has made me even more excited and more passionate about creating multimedia learning resources that meet the needs of a 21st century classroom because I learned that that science video that I thought was cool wasn't just cool and that that clip art or those old photographs of the Civil War weren't just perfect for the activity and having audio support wasn't just a neat feature and the ability for students to touch and move and manipulate their screen wasn't just fun. In fact, it was putting all of those elements together in one multimedia media package was what made learning stick. So we learned that combining videos and images and text and audio and kinesthetic learning, all of it was what made students' brains absorb and learn and retain information. Multimedia learning allows our brains to process the information more effectively and it moves new information from working memory to long-term memory. And that is the goal. In short, it works. Learning experiences that are interactive, self-paced, chunked into sections result in real learning. Multimedia learning reaches the greatest number of students and supports students with diverse learning needs. So I ask, how can you sneak in a little more multimedia learning experiences in with your students. You do not have to do it all at once. In fact, the process that I just described to you in my own experience and evolving from using just the textbook towards more interactive learning experience was the evolution of over 15 years in and out of the classroom. So think about that. Start simple. Start by including a video the next time you introduce a new topic and then talk about that video because now they've seen it and now you're talking about it and they're hearing it. You're giving it multiple ways to consume new information. Or start by recording yourself reading text on a Google slide and inserting that audio to help support a struggling reader. Start by having students listen to podcasts during a listening center while they doodle what they're listening or they use a response sheet of some sort to show what they've learned. And when you get a little braver, you can start having students create their own podcasts. And I'll link to an episode I did a few episodes back about what that might look like in your classroom. And before we go, I want you to know that one of the ways that I personally am committed to helping teachers have access to effective multimedia instruction is through my Linktivity Learning Membership. It's a brand new membership that I put together. And if you are unfamiliar with Linktivities, they're essentially interactive digital learning guides that can take a topic and present it in a multimedia format that lets students truly explore a topic at their own pace and have it in their own control and interact with it using a lot of the effective multimedia features that we just talked about. About And inside the Linktivity Learning membership, teachers can get access to my entire library of Linktivities for one low monthly price or annual price, if you want to save even more. And once you're a member, you not only get access to the Linktivities that are already inside the membership right now, which, by the way, includes all content areas and it keeps growing every single month, but you will get immediate access to all future Linktivities each month as they're added at no extra charge. They'll already be included as your membership. So if you want to learn more about Linktivities and the Linktivity Learning Membership, just head over to classroomnook.com forward slash Linktivity and we'll also link to it in the show notes as well. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today and letting me indulge a little bit into the research and share with you what has been kind of fueling my passion for the past few years and I am excited to continue to support you. I hope you have a great rest of the day and a good start to your week and I'll be back again next week with another episode. Bye for now.